0: Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at ryanroxy.com. In the Trenches with
1: Ryan Roxy.
0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy. What is happening, everybody, as you file into that live chat? Um, We are on the YouTube official channel. That is our... Home, although you might be listening to us on an audio broadcast, I appreciate that as well. Or you're listening to us on Facebook Live, it's the YouTube channel, the Ryan Roxy YouTube channel, where I really want you uh, to subscribe and be part of it part of this live chat. In fact, so much so that Vic, our producer, just put up that subscribe button right there. Hit that subscribe button so you can be a part of our podcast every single week. Um, yeah, I have a different type of uh, backdrop, don't I? Today, I'm not in the studio because i I'm out on the road. I'm out on the road with Alice Cooper and the boys and the girl. And those are our dates right now. Um, wow. Okay. A couple sold out shows right there. We just started, we got two under our belts. We played the London O2 uh, just a couple nights ago. And now I find myself in Manchester. Of course we, um, and now I'm just looking at the back. You can see the back of me right there. It's one of those, the best like dressing rooms I could actually find. Because not only does it have Ethernet cable, it has this lovely cinder block, off-white prison cell vibe. So here we are, <laughs> very in the trenches-like. And um, apparently, yeah, we are all accessing out right now. We are on the European leg number two of the Alice Cooper. If you want to find out about, a little bit more about all excess, you can go right to um, RyanRoxy.com. But you're here now, and now I'm ready to start the show. Are you? Here we go. I consider today's guest one of the pioneers of shred guitar. I remember seeing his photo in the local LA music magazines all throughout the years that I was cutting my teeth in the trenches, so to speak, you know, doing my best to make guitar playing and guitar driven music more than just a hobby, but a lifestyle. Now, this guy proved that in order to give, to get your head above the crowd, perhaps you need more than just one neck. It's a little foreshadowing there for you, right? Will you welcome, Into the Trenches, one of rock's most unique and special players, Michael Angelo Badio. Hello, Michael. Hey, Ryan. How are you? It's great. We've out throughout all these years of living in Los Angeles, playing rock and roll, playing guitar-driven music. We have never officially met until and had a conversation until right now.
1: Yeah, it's true. And it's funny, because, you know, I've met Nita before, and I'm, I'm jammed with Glenn. And, you know, I know people around, but you and I have never met, but I've known about you for, for a while, you know, but it's, it's great to finally meet even it's great to so finally meet you no, as I'm well, Ch- man. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I, I told the crowd where I'm at right now, because I'm in Manchester, UK, uh, we're playing the show, you said that you loved Manchester, you love the UK. Uh, where are you coming to us from?
1: I'm in the Chicago area, like the northern suburbs. That's my hometown. And, you know, like we were talking earlier, I lived in L.A. for a long time. I mean, that's how I got signed. That's how I, I, you know, made my career. But, you know, as I got older, uh, you know, my family's here. So I moved back to Chicago and I I like it. You know, it's, you know, it's not Los Angeles, but I'm always out there. So no complaints.
0: Well, it all started in Chicago. So that's why we like to go back to get forward. And that's where we start our show. Cool. Right on, Vic, that's some good that's our producer right there being right on point. Look at him, and he's not at home either. so he's not in Arkansas right now. He's at an undisclosed uh, cabin somewhere in the middle of the of the uS. So we've got a very international show today, folks, as we do every single week. but Chicago's where it all started for you. Yes. Um, what, what were the bands? What was the, the inspiration for the guitar in the first place growing up there? I mean for me, sh- Chicago's got such amazing, great. Music that has come out of it over the years, but what was it? Well, there you go. That's a oh, nice Gibson amp right at, there.
1: At around 11 years old, look at that's a Tysco guitar and a Gibson Skylark amp. And okay. I don't have either of those, but I'd like to acquire them. But I have a, you know, I collect guitars, and I have a lot of the instruments that I used to play when I was a kid, like a Fender Mustang, you know, 60s and. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I loved guitar, and Here, here's how it started for me. My mom played piano and even the accordion and I used to watch her play when I was a kid and she played this one old song. It's, it was a song. I don't even know where it came from. Yeah. My mom. And and, and it's called my wild Irish rose and like, I can hear it like five, three, three, two, one, one, seven, you know, six, five. And and I remember being a kid and watching her play it and figuring it out because my ear heard these notes and and so I was you, heard, you I heard the intervals I heard the intervals I, I don't know there was just you know I think I, there was something about the music that I, I understood what she was doing and I watched recording I figured out the song but and I played piano for about five years I didn't take lessons I just learned by ear and but when I was 10 the music that I started to like was heavy I heard distortion guitars and, and I said, well, you can't do this on piano. You know, I couldn't get that kind of sound. So I switched to guitar and uh, from 10 years old on guitar, has been my main instrument. Keyboards is a secondary instrument for me, but I always play it, but I don't don't like to feature it. You know, I I like to be known as a guitarist and that plays other instruments, but not the, the, you know, the player of many. But
0: I think at one point you're, uh, experience with the piano has enabled you to be dexterous with both hands, which eventually has sort of helped with a bit of your trademark, which is multi-necks. And it, and I, and again, when I would see you in the L.A. area, on in all the music magazines, whether it was Bam Magazine or Music Connection, um, you you had two guitar necks, but right. then. I was just dropped a bombshell that it be two became four at one point. And then so we're gonna talk about that. But there it is, the classic, uh, the classic Michelangelo Badio um uh, guitar of the two yes. necks, but we'll get into the four neck in just a bit. But again, starting with the name Badio growing up in Chicago. Is, isn't it, it's, Chicago sounds a little like Battio. It sounds like a little bit of more of an Italian thing. So yeah. why is it, why is it Battio? Yeah, it's, that,
1: it's a great question. And actually no one's ever asked me that, but it's, it's, it is a great question because my dad's side is Italian. And so in Italy, everybody, you know, Mr. Battio and, and my grandfather came over from Sicily, he was Sicilian. And so uh, he used, the, the official name is Battio. And my mom is, is German. A German Czech, so I'm half and half, so, uh, but when we were kids, um, my dad always said badio and I asked him why one day, and he goes, that's the way your grandfather said it, and my <laughs> grandfather passed away when I was a baby, so I actually never met him, uh, but, you know, I look kind of similar to him, like he had, you know, you think of all Italians it as really dark, where he had blue eyes, and you know, I inherited that, my dad, neither one of my parents had blue eyes, but I do, it's kind of a recessive trait, but it, I think it just simply, he wanted to make it sound more American. You know, like wow. Batio, it's so, you know, ethnic Italian. And I don't know Batio, but I like the sound of it. it like, I used to like it when I was a kid, you know, Batio just sounded
0: mean. And, and has yeah, it and always that, know, not always been Batio? Because, I mean, I remember in Los Angeles, it was Michelangelo. Now, have you always had the last name Batio attached
1: to it? or Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because... For a while, I, I when I moved out to LA in the mid '80s, I got signed with a band called Holland to Atlantic Records. It was my first major record deal, and at that time, yes. And, and uh, that's now that's a picture of us in the '90s and, and uh, one of our promo shots. We did a reunion, but we had the record produced by Tom Warman and, and Dwayne Baron, who. You know did uh quiet riots first album and tom weirman you know, did
0: all my favorite uh, cheap trick records yeah. and, and motley crew as well
1: and yes and, and exactly and i my, the first album i went by mike batio that's what i was known in chicago and then this was kind of this was how i changed it to angelo it's my middle name and i was hanging out i don't mean to drop names but i was hanging out with cece Deville.
0: that's a good name drop yeah
1: it's we were at the bow you know because everybody was at the bow and and all at
0: the the rainbow bar and grill friends
1: well that's what he said he goes hey you know I was uh I was we were at this house and I I play piano and I used to use my intimidation arpeggio I had this thing I would go (laughs) the first thing I do on piano is like okay and and so and, and I did it and he goes, he looks at me, he goes, hey, Michelangelo, let's get the hell out of here. You know, and, and, uh, and so I thought, you know, that's great. You know, he didn't even know it was my middle name. So I changed it to Angelo. but here's, here's where it got weird. In the early 2000s, when the internet really was exploding, you know, YouTube, you know, Napster thing had already been over, you know, everything, you know, this drastic change, I had a mail order business, and 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 I it was really successful. I was selling CDs, DVDs, because I was touring so much. And a so guitar yeah. course as well, right? I remember uh-huh. it was a, a lot of guitar lessons. Your guitar yes. course, yeah. Yes, yeah. I worked with Metal Method forever, and so anyway, I start getting hate mail. So these guys, I'm getting these emails going, dude. We bought your album, bro, and you suck, dude. I'm like, what? And and and, and like people are saying I suck. They're ready. And I and I I go well. What what album don't you like of mine? I didn't have that many out at the time. And, and me, well, actually, the way I take that back. Was 2000s. Yeah, I did. I had like ten <laughs> albums. So I, I forget that last one. And I go which one? And and they said like live in Saganash. I'm like I never released an album called live in Saganash. So Sounds we like went online and
0: Michelangelo up. out there.
1: Yes, there's another guy. And so mm-hmm. I had my attorney send him a cease and desist. His attorney sends. My attorney back a letter and say, you cease and desist. And, and my attorney, Glenn, who was one of my guitar students, he's one of my best friends. He's a big time intellectual properties attorney. And he, call, he calls me. He's like, Mike, we got a problem. He goes, you're going to have to change your name. I go, what are you talking about? <laughs> we Glenn?
0: told him to stop. And then they told
1: us to stop. Yes. And, then, and, his, and his last name is Angelo. And he's older than me and was using the name longer. And, and I'm like, Oh man. And so here's yeah. what we did. I was, uh, I had just signed again with Dean guitars and Dean Zelinsky, the founder, not the owner, but the guy from the seventies, he was really great at marketing. I go, Dean, what am I going to do? He goes, Oh, it's easy. He goes, people know you as Michelangelo. Keep it. He goes, just add your last name. And he goes, then the people like from Chicago knew you as Mike Batio. He goes, you get the best of both. So that's how think I that- I think had to add Batio for a legal reason. It was I crazy. I love <laughs> that story. Do you think that
0: Dean guitars, maybe the owner there uh had a problem with Jimmy Dean sausage at one point and they had the same sort of thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. I'm completely speculating on no, that. No, no, but it's a, yeah. I mean, even uh Dean and Washburn, you know, with dime, cause I knew diamond that, uh, you know, they were both making the ML, even though Dean, the original owner, actually never trademarked the ML design and Washburn had made it longer than the original Dean. So there was a wow. big war going on, but the owner of Dean that passed away, Elliot, was really sharp. And what he did was he talked to the owner of Washburn and he said, look it, we can be in court forever and go back and forth or let's both make it. And, mm-hmm. and he actually, they agreed. They, it was really cool, both Washburn and Dean could make the same guitar, you know, obviously different, little different headstock, but the thing well, is, uh, Dean was able to outmarket Washburn, you yeah, know, because well, when Dean, Dime got, got murdered, that was so terrible. I and, know, and, uh, I but but Dean kind of got Dime's name back with Dean more than Washburn, but it was a really, I thought it was a really great way to avoid a huge legal problem for both
0: companies. And, and being that you've been associated with Dean for so many years and now you, um, He he did unfortunately pass away about three or four years ago. You have, uh, moved on to another company, which, uh, you are proudly displaying right in back of you, uh, Sawtooth,
1: right? Yeah. You know, when, when Elliot died, this was actually passed away, believe it or not. It's a long time now. It's five years ago. And in 2016, he was really sick. And, you know, when I left Dean, um, I, I had worked with this music store in LA called GoDPS music. And I did a, a workshop there and I'll never forget. It was a Dean workshop. They were a Dean dealer. And I go into the store and there's only like 20 or 30 chairs set up. I'm like, well, this is not going to be such a big clinic today. And I, you know, I'm not, I didn't get bummed about it, but I just, you know, you walk in, you see only a limited amount of chairs. So I'm thinking this thing's going to be just a very small gathering and all of a sudden the video cameras come up and this is the first time this is around, I don't know, they streamed something. Okay. Yeah. It, this was the first time I'd ever realized, uh, that I can, that they're broadcasting it online. And uh, next thing I know there's thousands of people online. And, and, and so really what I was, and then they put it up on their site and, you know, it got maybe 300,000 views. It did really, really well. And, and uh, I'd it, it, never seen a clinic done like that. I knew you could do it, but they actually pulled it off. And I re, And that's part of Sawtooth. They have a retail store. They have a, a another company called Chromacast, where if you go online and you want a guitar stand, picks, you name it, any accessory, that's their company. But in that really, first
0: picture that Vic showed, do they actually sell the curly cord? Yeah.
1: Yeah. They <laughs> I wanted to do everything. Uh, <laughs> but I really love Sawtooth. The, the, you know, they're bros. So it's like, I deal with the owners of the company, you know, they're, they're great business people. They're LA based. So my mind, even though I live in Chicago, I lived in LA for so long and you can relate. It's like, it changes you. It's like this LA thing gets in your system. And it's, you know, it's really, it changed me from Mike Beatty. Like I look like a Geico insurance salesman, but I moved out there and then, you know, I became, you know, look like a rock star. Yeah. I didn't even know I turned into it. You just hang out with people, you you start to look like who you hang out with. Next thing you know, you go back east. You're like, you look, you look like, a mean, me. you know, like I've become
0: CC Deville. Help. Yeah, but uh, but I really love <laughs> no, I love, love CC. and I actually I, I remember when he used to come into Guitar Center um, b- back in the 19 early 80s when I worked at Guitar Center on Sunset across the street from where it is currently, and I would work the effects ray uh, department, and CC Deville would come in, and back then his name was Bruce. And he was just, you know, he was just as much of a Cheap Trick fan as I was. We're both huge Cheap Trick fans from, you know, obviously Cheap Trick from Rockford, Illinois, in that Chicago area. So, I mean, we were, we were all sort of influenced and uh, wanted that heavy guitar uh, sound. We liked pop music, but, but we also liked it with, with heavy guitars on it, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know, I being from Chicago and in the band Holland, um, we opened up for Cheap Trick. You know, I've been to Rick's house before and uh, I have jammed with him before. We did Highway to Hell. Man, and I, I was even in the studio uh, with them. I'm not saying I'm super close friends with him, but I've known Rick for a long time, you know, first name basis. And I remember being in the studio uh, in California when they, were, when they were recording The Flame. And man, I, I would just listen to this because Rick goes, yeah, come on down. And it was amazing. And I, they're one of my, I used to see Cheap Trick before they were big and in the in the bars, because in Illinois, before I moved to California, they lowered the drinking age from 21 to 19, the exact year I turned 19. So <laughs> I had two years of going into the clubs uh, that, that a lot of people didn't. I just lucked out by my age. So at that time, yeah, yeah, that's me around that time. Exactly. And uh, I, I would see Cheap Trick. I would see this band called MS Funk with a an unknown guitarist named Tommy Shaw, and I remember oh, wow. watching him and listening to that voice. I'm going, God, this guy yeah. can just sing like an
0: angel. And next thing you know, he's in. He gets in sticks on the Crystal uh, Crystal Ball album.
1: That's right, yeah. And so you know, I, I had the benefit of those two years, but in those two years, the Cheap Tricks of the World, they were one of my all-time favorite bands. I mean, yeah. I loved them. And uh, no when, when I was in Holland, uh, Tom Worman lives off of Coldwater Canyon. And a really beautiful mansion there. And when we were recording the album, he took me to his house and we were just talking about production stuff and, and, you know, about guitar playing and, and rhythm guitar. He was a real stickler on rhythm. And that's what he, you know, he, I, I don't, I don't like to talk about myself too much, but one of the things that he said to me goes, Mike, you are really excellent rhythm guitarist. And he goes, that's the, th-, and he really wanted, and he wanted to keep reinforcing it. And at that time he had done docking and, yeah. uh, you know, he was putting on stuff like the carpenters yeah. and he told me something wild about cheap trick. Cause he knew I was from the Midwest. Yeah. And he said, when I was a kid and I would listen to cheap trick, Robin Zander looked like an angel literally the guy yes. was so handsome the girls were, and he had Nielsen and he had bunny so he had the two cool he had tom dudes.
0: peterson on bass exactly you the, the two rock stars in me in, in in uh, uh robin zander and, and tom peterson and then you had, he the had two bunny carlos you know the, the two sort of
1: yeah yeah yeah. and and you know and and one thing here's what i always thought uh cheap trick had that song on their first album called tax man Yep. you work hard, you make money. I love yep. that song. And Absolutely. I remember seeing Robin in the bars, and he would sing really nice and clean. And then he would really rasp it out. And, mm-hmm. and he rasped out more than he sang clean in the early days. And I used to think to myself, you know, I love this band to death, but I think Robin Zander should sing a little cleaner. And, and when the first album came out, Jack Douglas did it, produced yes, it. Yes, he did. And I thought he's still singing like like the clubs and here's what Mormon told me was I couldn't believe he said this he said Mike he goes he did in color that you know that classic and he goes you know what I told Robin and we're just sitting there just me and him in his house and he goes I told him that he's got to clean up his vocals that he can't sing as raspy as he did that it's you know it's kind of like telling Tom Petty you know like living like a refugee
0: and then you know <laughs> or the telling three. bob dylan to be less bob dylan or something yeah. like, hell, and, and, but hell, I, hell. I thought wow
1: because it, it was the exact same thing that i thought and but tom was that and it was just such an experience that's why well, I you can California. see that
0: difference on those first two the, the first two cheap records it, cheap trick records are is the big dichotomy of what they because it sounds there's there's uh well, if the first album is such a great rock and roll record, I guitar driven, there's there's elements of punk with He's a Whore, but then there's Mandicello, which has like this really nice orchestration. But then you could see the development where things got a little bit more on the melodic Beatle-y pop uh, range with um, just even the production too. I mean, the uh, album version of I Want You to Want Me on the In Color album is so different than the Live at Budokan version.
1: Yeah. You know? it's slick yeah yes. I love the production of In Color and you know they just got it right in every way you know mm-hmm. that the sound was right Worman just knew you know the thing that I loved about Tom is he, w- he was I really got to know him and he really changed my life a lot uh, as Tell far as my, my thought process of making albums and just who a person is he was an a and guy for Epic Records he discovered Boston he told me he said their demo tape was exactly like the album he wanted to sign rush and leonard skinnard and they wouldn't let him you know here he does ted nugent's album with stranglehold he oh, just yeah. he had a real knack for this stuff he and that's a, what he's trying a, to a huge
0: knack for the what was what was going to be popular what or what he felt would be like the next thing
1: yeah he he was really you know he was one of the main guys in the 80s i mean wow. you know there's not many what him mutt lang maybe a couple other people They were the biggest, but
0: this stems back from the band Holland. And a lot of times I do this a little bit later in the show, but because there's been some great comments about Holland and I did see an uh, equipment question uh, from Remy that we'll come back to and we'll circle back. So Vic, our producer, I just want you to make a note of that because he wanted to ask about a question about the tube screamer. And uh, thank you very much for uh, asking that question, Remy. But uh, right now I want to actually do a segment That we usually do a little bit later, but it's going to be uh, Celebrity Let the People Speak. So, and this one comes from one of your former members of, uh, and I know there's a history with this gentleman that's going to ask the question, and the band Holland. So, if Vic, our producer, is ready to ask this question, um, he is ready to ask you, Michelangelo uh, Badio. Here we go.
1: Hey, Mike Ryan. How you guys doing? Um, yeah, uh, Mike. Uh, I've seen a lot of guys who perhaps are more embraced by the mainstream. We'll say, um, Copping a lot of your shit if it's visual stuff like the multi-neck guitar or the um, uh, you know the techniques involved. You the first shredder. When you see guys just outright stealing from you. Is that a compliment or is that like, hey, motherfucker, that's my shit. Love you guys. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny. Hey, hey, Alex, Hold on. Alex, is in Holland. he's a great guitar player. Good friend. There you go.
0: I, I just want everyone to know that's our, our podcast favorite uh, man. I was not expecting Alex to ask that question shirtless, but I guess that was an extra bonus for the two of you, <laughs> to Be Shirtless folks and all of you uh, watching in the live chat and the YouTube official channel, of course. That is Alex Kane, Uh played in the band Holland. Did you that's guys right. ever
1: play in the band together or was it different times? No, we, we've been good friends for a long time. I in fact I went to go see him when he when he was in Holland. Uh I came back from uh they were on tour and and uh but yeah Alex is a great guitar player in his own right, always busy, you know, always doing something cool. And so what do you think about that question he asked? When people
0: death, what do you think was, about the question that he just asked about when people um do the same sort of things that you have sort of pioneered? Do you take it as a compliment or compliment or do you?
1: I, I hear I've you know, I'm pretty, uh, how can I say it? When I started doing instructional programs uh, in the 80s, Starlicks, you know, I, I was, I showed everything that I could show. In fact, I had fans telling me they think that I show too much. I showed my over-under in the, you know, technique. I call it the MAV over-under in in the mid-80s. One um, And, you know, I mean, I... You know, I've been around long enough. I saw Richie Blackmore play over the neck. I'm left-handed. This is my strong hand, and I'm I'd left-handed think, as well. So I'm left-hand dominant as well. And, but, and the, you know, so to answer Alex's question, I the only time I ever got upset about it because I'm grateful. For example, like Herman Lee, it, you know, studied my things. A lot of the guitarists, the, the big name people, give me credit for. It, you know, because. I, you know, and I think it's cool. It's like, I mean, you know, too, Ryan, it's sometimes easier to talk to Zach Wild than it is to like one of the openers that thinks they're better than you. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. There, there seems to be a little bit of, of ego going on with some of the openers. And sometimes the chip on the shoulder is... Is a is it is a good thing for you to have if it gives you that motivation to keep practicing, working harder. It's it's a problem when it becomes something where it becomes disrespectful. And yeah. like I and, and like I said, Zach, you're you're exactly right because I've, I've interviewed Zach before. He's been nothing but a gentleman. That has great you know, and you can just talk to him, you know, guy to guy, guitarist to guitarist.
1: Yeah, in fact, we one of the conversations I had with Zach was he was asking me about the Nitro Freight train solo, and then. <laughs> You know, when I came up and, you know, too, you know, a lot of in the L.A. era of the 80s, it was so much competition. And so uh, but, you know, with with my techniques, the reason I invented the double is because I knew doing this, even if it's mine, which I'm pretty sure I've never seen a video from the old days that that somebody did it like me, but I said, they can't copy a double guitar unless they get it built. So, Alex. <laughs> so, so, I'm just going to actually, you, you built the <laughs> hardware. Yeah. You actually changed the hardware. For I figured, whatever. okay, if it's people awesome. are going to steal my stuff, they're going to have to build a guitar, <laughs> darn it. And But, but you know what, to answer Alex's question, I don't have this like tremendous, I'm, I'm a win-win person. I'm not win-lose. So, you know, but unfortunately not everybody's like that. But I am flattered when people do it, but I, I got upset only one time in my life, and there was somebody that, that actually was, t- they were taking my songs, they tattooed uh, tattoos like mine, they wore clothes like me, and they were doing my show with my music and trying to make a career out of it, and I just told the guy, I said, and I didn't even, wasn't even mean about it, but I said, look, at, I'm still here. You know, this isn't a kid's <laughs> not a yet. tribute yet. Yeah. You know, this is a. You know, you're you're trying to. You're you're doing my thing. You know, and claiming it's yours. I said, you know, in order. For, I said, you can't really do that. It's not going to be a career for you. You you know, if you want to do a tribute, that's one thing. But um, you know, when people do it, like again, I'll use Herman Lee as a great example. I just played with them when they came through Chicago. You know, we're good friends. He does this, but he gives me credit, and and that's the thing that. That's, you know, I just want the legacy out there. I love people doing it. Like, for example, Sawtooth for the first time ever did a 50 piece limited edition run of my double. And there's a really amazing is that that coming out? When is is that?
0: Yeah, it came out.
1: uh, We're sold out of it. and, And a real popular young guitarist named The Dew got one of these. And, and he, he demoed it. Uh, And, but, you know, people know that it's me and that that's the thing. So I don't really, I'm pretty thick skinned about it. I don't really care that people do this. You know, I just, let me ask you this. If you you play my music and try to look like me and do this and make a career out of it, then I, that, that kind of bothered me a little. Let me
0: ask you this, because I, I remember I was in Los Angeles. I moved there in 83, same year that you moved there. I was going to GIT. Was it Doug Marks? Had this problem was that was that the guy that you had the beef with? Which is, Was it Doug Marks? Was that this name, the guitar player? That you oh, well, had Doug Marks thing?
1: is from Metal Method. Yeah, he's the yeah, owner but, of Metal.
0: But no, but wait, 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 the the guy that was like completely copying your stuff was it Doug Marks or was it? No, no, else? Doug,
1: Doug is the owner of Metal Method. He's the one that did Speed Kills DVDs and okay. This this is actually a younger guy. who Happened. Uh, but there, yeah, there's been other people that try to do this back in okay. the day. I don't really know their names though.
0: I remember Doug Marks having really big blonde hair, and yes. you had the big, really big brunette hair. So I'm glad that that you two are friends because you are the salt <laughs> and pepper, you're the salt and pepper shakers of shred guitar.
1: <laughs> you know, Doug is really great. He's still got the passion for. It. You know that picture that you just shot. Go, um, that was, that's my Gibson double guitar that was built by Gibson. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. It has a little bit of an explorer vibe.
0: So what, what actually uh, gave you that? um, we, We know where the inspiration comes, right? You get this inspiration where like I, I, I have this technique where I'm going to go over, over, under technique, but, but then I can do it with a double guitar. It's one thing to have the idea to build that guitar, but then how do
1: you make it a reality? It's a good question. Um, You know, when when I was in school, I would draw, I would do drawings. And I saw in Chicago, every Sunday they had a show. It was on public television. It was Channel 11, WTTW, where one week you could see the Chicago Symphony String Quartet. The next week it would be Willie Nelson. All genres of music. And I remember, uh, and then one week they had Grand Funk Railroad. I mean, you know, they just, (laughs) it was so... At all different styles, you know, the, from country to, to orchestral to rock. And one week they had a jazz concert with a, with a guy named Rasan Roland Kirk. And at the end here, I'm a kid, you know, I'm, I'm not even in high school yet. I'm watching this. at you know, I was in middle school, junior high, as we used to call it. And the guy ended the show. He was an older guy at the time playing two saxophones at the same time. And I'm like, Huh? It was like he's literally doing this—a jazz saxophonist. And then what they would do is they would have, they would, they would do like quick bios of the bands. So that he invented this thing called circular breathing. I saw this on TV. He could breathe in and out at the same time. The dude could hold hold a note for twenty minutes. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. He was like, I I could, I'd never seen anything like this guy. And I said, you know, like, it will be mine. I will do this. (laughs) And I started thinking. And I started coming up with the idea. I'm left-handed. I play piano. I can pull this off. And, and again, it was my thought process. Like when Alex asked, do I get mad? I can't stop somebody from doing this and, and calling it theirs. I I can only get it out there that I'm the originator of it and it's my trademark, but I can't stop people. But I figured if I have a guitar, nobody else has, they're going to have to go through a pretty, detailed process in order to, to do what i'm doing and so i started coming up with designs and i'll and eddie van halen is the one that put it over the top for me really? i saw van halen's second tour it was the gr- one of the greatest rock shows i've ever seen i have a story about david lee roth at that show he, he was unbelievable and eddie played cathedral i, I was just wow i was oh, really now, now were they headlining at this point or oh yeah they, they were, were headlining, headlining. Okay. and uh you know sold out like twenty thousand seats uh you know it, it was their the tour for their second album so van halen and,
0: too and what, and what is what is uh david lee roth do that just impresses you like okay no other?
1: this is kind of it's a really cool story um okay. that's what we're here for we're here okay the cool stories when, when i was Angel a kid baby. my mom loved elvis presley and this is what it has to do. there's an Elvis component to this and my sister didn't want to go i still have the original tour booklet this is in the 70s i was 16 years old and it was when he was still really thin but it was later part of his life it was the comeback tour so he was dressed in all those you know the stuff you see Elvis later you're talking about Elvis years. the
0: black the black leather uh, Yeah, era.
1: and then he was wearing yeah. like those white jumpsuits with the cape and doing the american trilogy and he did a move and, and there were video screens even back in the day. So, you, you know, they were, you know, obviously the technology wasn't like now, but so there were these two big video screens and, and my mom was going crazy. These girls are screaming, you know, and I'm like, I, my mom's embarrassing me. And she's like, oh, help us, oh my God. You know, every <laughs> girl around me, oh my God, he's so handsome. You know, this is, and he was singing like a bird and he did a move, right? It blew my mind, you know, cause he was doing this karate chop stuff. And then he yeah. goes like this. He stops, Uh, just stops, does nothing, stands there like this, like a frozen statue. And I've never seen this before in my life. The entire stadium quieted down to almost nothing. And then he goes like this, when he waited for silence, he went, and he just moved his head. (laughs) Everybody starts screaming. Now here's how it relates to Van Halen. This is the era where David Lee Roth had the lion's mane and he had the body of a Chip and dancer. I mean, Absolutely. he was cool. Yeah. Alex Van Halen's got three kick drums. He stands on the drum riser. I saw this. This is not an exaggeration. He does a scissor kick, like, and he does the. I know that. Thing. I've seen that picture before. Touches, yeah. he, he, he touches jumps off his, his, and he lands like this. And what does he do? Does he move? He does the Elvis move. He stands there perfectly still. And the same reaction happened. And I didn't know it at the time. It was only after it happened, I put the two together. The entire stadium quiets down. And he did the same move. He just tilted his head. They had the big video monitors, the same reaction. It was like seeing, I've never seen power. Like when you can control an audience like that. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was Sheer power to me. I've never seen it. You know, I mean, the control Roth had, he was that cool. Roth Elvis must have, have saw cool. the same
0: show that you and your so mom saw. So that's my story. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Roth must have seen that same exact tour uh, that you and your mom saw at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? So that answers the Roth part. But what did Eddie Van Halen do at that show that actually put the, the thing over the top for the double for Char? the guitar?
1: After, you know, I've been a huge Van Halen fan since day one but I also realized I don't play like Eddie at all, you know, and I never try. I, for a long time, I, I didn't even tap because I, I didn't want to steal his thing. I said, that's him. I, it's not me. And, you know, I re, I put him in the Jimi Hendrix category that there's no possible way you can notate a Van Halen solo. I could write the notes out, but unless you hear it, you have no idea really what it sounds like. And so anyway, I was looking at, I, I'm, I'm in the process of like, In my brain, kind of figuring out this double guitar, and you know, I know it's going to be like this. I used to do drawings where the two guitars are like this, (laughs) kind of biblical. And and, you know, I said (laughs) that's not going to work. (laughs) And then I saw a picture of Van Halen. It was a full body shot in like hit parade or circus, one of those mags. And he's standing there, and he's got his guitar up like this. And I and I look at it, and it's like that's it. And so I, I'm, I draw, I'm not the greatest draw in the world, but I love to draw and I'm pretty good at it. I had tracing paper. So I put a sheet of paper, I traced his image, I flipped it over and I saw this. Wow. And I said, there is my double. And then what I did was, this is kind of, kind of funny. I, I have a protractor from when I was a kid. It measures yeah. angles, a little half moon I remember
0: remember those things. You you used them in geometry or some sort of school.
1: And so what I did is I measured, like, here's 90 degrees. I just measured it. It came out to be about 115 degrees because here it would be 90 degrees. That's not really a double. So it was like this. So it was about 115. So when we made the first double, we just kind of literally took a right-handed and a left-handed guitar put it down on a bench, kind of <laughs> eyeballed it to get to this. We, I took the picture of Van Halen that I had. I, I put them both together, cut it out. So that was my template. We kind of eyeballed it, got it close, chopped it. And there's my double. <laughs> and then the mechanism it. to put it together. That was another, that was a real tricky one. Now see
0: right out of the gate. I can see where that angle that you have makes complete sense of why Van Halen would do it and why, uh, Slash used to do that. You know, when I played with him, he'd take his Les Paul just to get it higher, right? And and, and easier to play. That's why you'll see him play at that angle a lot now because it is – easier to play your guitar exactly, because right? he's always string it so low. And I love to string my guitar low too. But when I use that same trick, you know, I definitely, I definitely uh, pay homage and uh, borrow it from Slash's move because that, it does make your uh, hand and your both hands easier to
1: play. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at like, you know, with my lessons, I always, you know, knock on wood, I've never, ever been hurt. And, you know, it's like there's a lot of difference and, and you would be a, a, the, you're a perfect example. You're out there touring it, you're doing it for real on a high level. So if, if somebody's going to get hurt or not, you are the authority to sit. It's kind of like talking to an NFL running back or a quarterback. And so when you tour like this, you know, it's easy to sit and not, I don't degrade it. You know, I'm not trying to criticize anybody who just sits at their computer and plays but it's a different world getting up there in front of people
0: and standing doing it for real. Performing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Performing. Exactly.
0: Performance and practice are two completely different things.
1: Yeah. It's two different worlds. And a lot of young people, they're, they're more focused on being internet influencers than actually doing, you know, the tours and performing and where that was my goal. But I found that when you play with your guitar like that, the angle of your, of your hand, your wrist it's almost straight out like this. And it's really comfortable to play. See, sometimes when you bring it down, look at that. You know, it it kind of, your, your hands, but when you keep your guitar up, it's really comfortable. And I, I think that's it. one of them. You reasons. know what?
0: This dovetails into. I, I swear, I was gonna, folks. I was gonna save this for a little bit later because it's a very, very another celebrity. Let the people speak uh, question. But I, I, I would feel remiss if we didn't get into it right now. But Vic, you have to run the animation for Let the People Speak, just so people know what it is. But folks, this is Celebrity. Let the people speak. Come on, Vic. Allelu, allelu. listen to this question now because I think it has something to do with the whole technique of what you have created with this invention of not just the double guitar but the four neck guitar Rick can you run that clip or not
1: (laughs) what is up guys Nita Strauss here we are getting ready to go on stage at the o2 arena in London but first I have a question for the great Michelangelo Uh, I'm a big fan, of course, of your amazing shred techniques and all the innovations that you've made in our instrument. And I want to know what challenges, what were some challenges that we might not have thought of when you were developing your two-hand double guitar, quad guitar, crazy techniques. What's some stuff that the average guitar player might not have thought of uh, that went through your head when you were coming up with that? I'm excited to see the answer. Thanks Ryan for letting me ask. Oh, that's great. <laughs> there you go. There, he there amazing, by the way. She filmed uh,
0: that just the other night before uh, our O2 Arena in London show. So thank you very much, Nita Strauss, for doing that. And she wants to, you know, answer that question about, because not only was it a, a double guitar, you ended up going
1: quad. And, and This is a really funny story. That's true. I mean, I, there's no reason for me to lie because I've said it all over. You know, you don't have to lie. The truth the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, when i had the double guitar now i had just i had been playing this since the holland days so that was about four years before nitro now the band nitro with jim gillette uh he was only 19 when we got signed we were signed to rhino records which was a subsidiary of warner brothers and there alone were like a quarter of a billion dollar company yeah jim was a kid back then still a teenager and and, uh he was a what happened was, uh, there's a guitarist named Guy Mandude. And, and back in the day, Guy he was my rhythm guitar player. And he left the band. He went on and did, uh, yeah, that's the Fornick, the uh, Gibson forneck too. Gibson built that uh, through Wayne Charvel. So anyway, about a, a few days now, at this time, Steve Vai had joined David Lee Roth. I actually went, they they rented out, I think it was the Forum it was one of the a gigantic venue to rehearse. Just anyway, to have I was a sound invited stage. the yeah. rehearsal, So I'm watching Vi and David Lee Roth and Billy Sheehan and, you know, et cetera. And, and uh, anyway, I'm in the studio with Guy. We go to like, it was one of like Cherokee or one of the LA studios and there's Steve. And, and I see him and he was looking and he had told me at a Poison show one time that he was thinking of a guitar that's lefty and righty. And I pulled out a picture in my wallet. I go, you mean like this, Steve? He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and so he didn't say anything about his heart guitar to me. And, and the video was debuting days after I saw him in the studio. So anyway, the video of the heart guitar. Yeah. And Steve and I are, you know, we're, we're not the, you know, I, I'm not super close to him, but we're on a really good terms and I, I like him and I respect him immensely and, and we've never really had issues, but here's what happened. So he comes out with this heart guitar, but again, I had to figure out the neck angles. You know, I did all this preliminary research. All he had to do was come up with the shape, the heart guitars and add another neck. And, and we're sitting at, at the time, one of the offices of Rhino was in Santa Monica. So Jim and I are in Santa Monica. We're having a meeting with the label. Our first album, OFR, is coming out. Uh, Freight Train is going to be the first single. They loved it. They loved our album. They were ready to promote. They promoted the heck out of us. That solo is and out of control. Of our label this is it's great. He's control. like, Michael, you have two necks. Steve Vai has three. What can you do <laughs> about it? I went, four? Four? We love it, four necks. Yes, and th- that will be the angle
0: of the guitar. <laughs> oh, oh my
1: god! I said it as a joke. I'm like four, and I said I like thought like four, and, you know, like, and all of a sudden. But here's the cool thing, Ryan. I, you know, at the time, you know, I was having a, I had a guy named Wayne Charvel building all my guitars. This is wow. Charvel, the man. But oh, yeah. you know, that builds ZZ top that did Van Halen's. The guy. So I I go to, he lived in the Redlands at the time. And I I call him up. I go, Wayne, I have a project for you. And, and Jim uh, Gillette was really good at designing guitars too, like the shapes. So Jim and I worked on it. We came up with this X-wing that looked like Star Wars. I go to Wayne uh, in the Redlands. It does have a a bit of a a, X-wing type of vibe. The, or, or the, yeah. it has a
0: star wars sort of it, it's it looks like one of the ships in star wars now that, yes. I, that I think about it but
1: but here's you know I, i'm kind of i have kind of an engineering mind for example the way the double guitar the very first one we ever did worked and i always get help i'm not a lone wolf i like the mechanism to put the double guitar together is two metal rods with a flight case latch you go Lock and load. It takes two seconds, and that's how was you're the, able to travel with it, right? Because you couldn't, tr- you could something like that. You can't really just do a, a fly-in gig, right? If, if fact, it was one piece, my flight cases look like a keyboard case for the because you know I, I when I case up the doubles, uh, right. it, they they fit in a case like this. The re, It's actually a pretty small case, and then when you put it together, it becomes right. one. Well, the quad was different, and I I told Wayne uh, so. I'm out at the Redlands at a shop. And I said, Wayne, think of Steinberger guitars. I said, think of rifles. You know, I'm not a big gun guy, but I said, make the body small, four of them, and we put seven strings on the two top ones, high A's though, not low B's. And I said, create four guitars. And I said, what if we use a backplate, and the backplate can dictate the shape? He's like, great. See, the thing about Wayne is I could give him an idea. He could make it come to fruition. This guy, it's Wayne Charvel. I mean, I knew Grover Jackson. He made, you know, it's it's weird because I wasn't, a, I didn't know a lot of details about guitars. When you have a guy like Wayne and they give you a various equivalent guitars every time, you're like, okay, great. You know, I got used to, I didn't know what anything else was besides a Charvel made guitar. That doesn't mean it looked like a Charvel, like a San Demas or something. So anyway, We, I had this idea of four separate guitars and and then Wayne came up with the idea. He took this aluminum and made it so artistic. And then we, so we, the first version we had was two, seven strings, two, six strings, and you had to screw each guitar on. It took about 10 minutes. The back plate dictates the shape. So we created back plates that look like that. That was the quad. Then we had, then I said, Wayne, there's a few variations I want. I said, this is hard to play in concert. Let's put two in line like this. So he creates another back play. So now the four guitars can be two and two. And then we even created a third where it just became a double guitar. So Holy we crap. just use the two top ones. And if you see in the freight train video, I used the quad and the two top ones as a double. It was just brilliant engineering. And,
0: and you know, when you're
1: playing now, is there is
0: there a different approach to playing? all th- three of those designs, or
1: is it the same ter- sort of approach that you take in playing them? It, it's 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 way different because, uh, first of all, each guitar has its own neck. And I mean, its own amp, obviously its own neck, but it has its own amp. Like if I was going to play the double, it would be through two amps. The guitars were always separate guitars. You can't put two guitars through one amp. It's going to be bad. Feedback. So I had a four amp setup and what happens is there's, there's, it's, it becomes a strange thing when you put them all together. It's like the sum of the parts is different <laughs> than just the individual things. And, and, and what I mean is there's, there's more feedback involved. And so what I did was, you know, people say, well, how could you play all four at the same time? A looper. I had two loops. Ah, okay. So I could play it like do, 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 loop it, do something <laughs> on the other side. And, and then you have to be careful because it doesn't always match. But I used to do things that it, it would, you, could get away, you could get away with it. I worked Again, out
0: your experience with, with the piano helps
1: you out. Yeah. And then I could play the two top ones. Mm. And, and so I could play four at the same time. And then I worked, you know, I had all these wild tricks. Like, for example, pick here, hand here it looks really off the wall, but it's still You're becoming a thing, magician more
0: than you are a musician at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then I can play left-handed. I taught myself to truly play lefty. So I, I, another thing that I did, did you was- really teach? I mean, that is such a, hard,
0: even yesterday, we were at the Gibson showroom here in, uh, in London. We're in Manchester right oh, now. Cool. Uh, but we went to the showroom in, in London and Chuck, our bassist, um, you know, he's left-handed. I'm left-handed. Um, he, there was a left-handed guitar there, and he says, "Try playing the, just a riff left-handed." So I try I try to play "Smoke on the Water." And he's like, "It's like the first time you've ever picked up a guitar."
1: It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, you know. When I was growing up, being left-handed, I used to like. We used to take like badminton rackets. I did, and then I would draw guitar shapes on on paper and, and like make pretend I was air guitaring. But I always air guitar lefty. And when and when I was ten. You know, I I didn't work yet. So my dad goes, are you sure you want to play guitar? And I go, yeah, we, there were no lefty guitars available. And so I got this Tysco for like 35, I think my dad. The one in that first photo that we had. Yeah. And he goes, and, and, and and we could only find right-handed ones and it felt so weird. And he goes, my, I will never forget. My dad goes, son, you'll have a great advantage playing a right-handed guitar being left-handed translation. If you want to play guitar at all, you better learn on this because there are no left-handed <laughs> It guitars. is kind of
0: a financial decision. But then again, my, and here's my theory on this. And I've said uh-huh. it on the podcast before about why people ask me, like I tell them I'm left-handed. They go, well, why don't you play guitar left-handed then? And I say, here's exactly the reason. Uh, when the guitar first started, uh, it was pretty much important because your left hand would be more in a stationary position, and this hand would be doing arpeggios everywhere. So it was important for your right hand to be uh, dominant. But with the invention of the guitar pick, going up and down, up and down at a very fast uh, speed, but then opening up the guitar neck to go up and down in later years, it became more important actually for your left hand to be dominant. So I think I've been doing it right all along, right? You're
1: you're in Manchester with Alice Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: funny. And the, and and the other thing is I tell people you never see a left-handed piano.
1: That's right. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. And you know, I, I made that, it's interesting that you said that I made that, uh, Uh, observation when I, when I I used to do a lot of guitar clinics and I really loved it and I don't do many anymore, but, but I, I, I toured all over the world doing guitar clinics. And I used to tell people, think of the double guitar, not as two pianos normal, but as a right-handed piano and then reverse every key. This is a truly left-handed guitar. Think about playing a left-handed piano and a right-handed piano at the same time. That's really weird. I, blow my mind. And, then, yeah, and I, that's I what me. it's hard enough for you, and, me to and play you know the what I did talk. too, Brian? That that I read an article one time. I never got to see Jimi Hendrix. It was a little bit, I, I just, it, it just never worked out. And, uh, you know, it's a little, I won't say it's before my time, but it kind of was. I was too young. And, and uh, you know, just at that age where I, I wasn't going to concerts yet. I just missed it. You know, yeah. Elvis, like, was one of the, you know, that was a few years after he had passed away, Hendrix. And, and so, but I read this article. It was, again, one of the big rock mags. I don't remember. It said, Jimi Hendrix played guitar in more positions than any person had ever done. And I thought, what did that mean? So one of the things that I did with the double is I wrote a list of things of what, what can you do with this? You know, can you, you can play this way. I can play in unison. I can play in harmonies. I can play harmony, melody, and then I said, "Let's get bizarre with this." What else can you do? I, I remember I was. Do you remember the Country Club in Reseda? Of course, man. Oh, yeah, and I was playing the Country Club one one time, and and I remember this is hilarious. So I'm playing my double right, and I'm doing my thing, and it's you know a big crowd, and and I'm hungry, and I swear I'm thinking I love Del Taco, Taco Bell sounds good, and I'm playing thinking about quesadillas and hard shell chicken tacos. I'm playing like this, and I'm hungry. And it's like on autopilot. You know, I'm looking like I'm into it, but I'm, I know what I, I've done this solo a million times. I, I, I can do it in my sleep. And I'm Del like, Taco
0: had the best quesadillas. Oh, I, I thought oh, Del God. Taco had a much better quesadilla than
1: Taco Bell. Just I agree. And I'm thinking, Them quesadillas with hot sauce. And all of a sudden, like, and then that voice in my head goes, what are you doing? You're on stage. And I, I literally did this. On stage at that time, I went and I just flipped my hands like this and started playing harmonies. And, and then my brain goes, Del Taco." <laughs> and and uh, well, wait a second, that's that's a total audible
0: move that you pulled. Pardon? That was an audible, like like if you're talking NFL, you, yes, you you're yeah. looking at the line, you're maybe seeing the defense, and you just pull an audible, you yeah. chitch. But I, then again, isn't that a little bit disingenuous because? Isn't it true? And this is a fact or fiction question, and you usually pepper those into the show, um, that you played on Taco Bell ads when you were a session musician in Chicago. So weren't you really not being true to your Taco Bell roots when that happened?
1: It's true. No, you it's are a true. fact, folks. It's a fact. <laughs> well, that is correct. And I did. I was did a lot of session work in Chicago. And you know, if you think about Chicago at that time. Oprah Winfrey, daytime TV, Chicago. Jerry Donahue, Chicago. Uh, Jerry Springer, Chicago. All the daytime talk shows were in Chicago. They were the jingle market of the U.S. I did Taco Bell, United Way, but... I like Del Taco better. (laughs) You can't get it in Chicago. It is true. Del Taco is such a,
0: for me, it's such a Los Angeles thing. And it was like, I mean, I don't even know if they even still have Del Tacos, but it it was like, yeah. I mean, this episode wasn't supposed to be all just about Del Taco, but apparently we've uh, covered the gamut on it, but we've covered the gamut on (laughs) so much of the double guitar, the quad guitar. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Well, for me, the point was, you know, that my mind just started to wander, I was getting bored. And, and I think that anybody who has a lot of stage experience, every once in a while, the evolution of what you do moves forward because you might do something one night where you go and you incorporate it in your show. And so when I was playing this, I, I was just, I was playing harmonies, diatonic harmonies and thirds. And I had done this for so, you know, for years already, I was just getting bored of it. And so my mind started to wander a little bit, uh, a lot. And, and that's when I said, you know, I better cool it. And I, I literally, I, I was at the country club. I just went like this. And I mean, I switched and I nailed it. It was luck, part luck and, and part just cause I, had, I, and I'd never practiced this before. Whoa. And so then it became part of the show. But it, and a lot of this stuff is by accident, like the four-neck guitar. You've got two; he's got three. What can you do? Four. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just the way it's playing on stage. Amazing. I mean, a lot of what I I learned everything, the over under, everything was was developed from performing. You yeah. know, and 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 the the quad too. You we know, we knew this I, would happen,
0: Michael, uh, Angela, Obadia. We well, I told you at the beginning. I said, well, you know, we're usually last a certain amount of time, but then we always. I look at the clock and it's like, we haven't even started. We just started our conversation and we're already pretty much into an hour into, and usually I I, I run a, a little ad that we have a half hour into it. And I'd like to run an ad right now. We just take a quick 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 uh maybe one minute break here and we can talk about the um, system 12 guitar method because that's my guitar method i teach beginning guitar players and and teaching the foundations i know you have yours so i want to talk about that right after the commercial break but here we are folks Um, thank you so much for joining us on in the trenches we have michael angelo badio um and he is the original. Well, there's an, there's another Michelangelo out there, but then there's even the original. I was thinking about that the, when you said the word biblical earlier in the show. There is the actual Michelangelo that would kind of trump both of the Michelangelo that made the records in the Michelangelo Badio, the guy, the painter, Michelangelo. Of course. Right? Yes. Yeah, so, but, but he's not going to come back and get your name. Right now, <laughs> we have the or- or originator of the double uh, guitar the quad guitar and so much more we'll talk more right after this commercial break with michael angelo badio thank you so much hello ryan roxy here from the alice cooper band and i'd like to talk a little bit about one of my favorite things playing guitar Here at the RGA headquarters, which stands for Roxy Guitar Army, by the way, we've put together a guitar learning system that will get you playing and understanding the guitar faster than any other teaching program out there. We call it the System 12 Guitar Method, and it's designed to make the most out of your time, your effort, and your passion for learning guitar. By combining new school technology, old school mentoring, and the number 12, we have invented a new way to teach guitar over the past year we have helped so many people who wanted to start or continue their guitar journey do exactly that now we'd like to help you there's never been a better time to start learning guitar than right now if you think it's too hard the system 12 makes it easy if you think it'll take too much time the system 12 will have you playing in 12 weeks and if you think it's too expensive. The entire System 12 costs less than what one private guitar lesson would cost you at your local music store. Check out the official site or the links below in the description of this video to join the RGA and get started on your guitar journey with the System 12 guitar method. Now, let's get back into the trenches for some more rock and roll. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the ride. Mwah! Excellent. So there you go, folks. That's, uh, that's some information about the system 12. And uh, we're here with, uh, Michael Angelo Badio, who has an, his own guitar uh, system and he's been teaching lessons as well. And, um, you, you don't teach guitar privately, but you have worked with some pretty famous guitar players and, uh, worked with on certain lessons and techniques with guys like maybe Tom Morello, Mark Tremonti, just to name a a few great guitar players that you've worked with. Is is that, uh, are private lessons not a thing for you or do you just like to, you know, share knowledge with with somebody
1: else? With with Tom, he grew up in Libertyville, which was really close to the music. You know, he grew up in Illinois. So um, I didn't actually know that I taught him. Uh, He came up to me at a NAMM show in the the 90s and he, I, I was just standing there And he comes up and he said, thank you. And I looked at his badge. I go, Whoa, this is Tom Morello. And and he goes, and I go for what? And, 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 you know, I I was like kind of shocked. And he goes that I, he took, he said he took lessons from me that he had, he was taking lessons. It's a store called the music gallery in Highland park. They're still there. I'd known, I've known them since I was 16 years old. And it's a very affluent area of Illinois. And, and, uh, but Tom said it was a musical epiphany because, uh, he said a uh, 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 quote that he had speeditis because, you know, my method, it, it's pretty simple. You know, it starts here. It's like a triangle. You know, you have to coordinate all three parts. And uh, so Tom was in person. Mark and I, you know, it's hard to, to just say I gave him lessons. Really what happened was we were jamming buddies and, and, you know, we, we got to meet each other right when he started Alter Bridge. And I became real close friends with him. Like, you know, I know his family really well. I, I was at his house and we would like before concerts, like uh, he, you know, Alter Bridge, we would, we would just jam for hours. And then, you know, he did a couple of Creed reunions. I'd go backstage, we'd spend the entire day. So, and and Mark is, is, you know, he's a very disciplined guy. And, you know, he'd be like, okay, Mike, show me something new. And so you know, and I talked to him about my technique, and 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 he's played on like three or four of my solo albums, and so it was. But it, it, the what I did was it, it kind of functioned as like an overseer, you know, gotcha. where like I watched, you know, because knock on wood again, right? You know, I, I, you know, I've never had a hand injury, but I'm so meticulous about like hand position, and you know, I wanted economy of motion. I want to move as you know, not is a great, vision, but great even word. this, or yeah. like with my double guitar, um, we just did a video with a guy, Rob Skellon, and he's a young internet influencer, millions of We're going to talk about
0: some of these collaborations that you've been yeah. going that have been he, going viral.
1: I pick it upside down, <laughs> levitate it and play. And, and I mean, people never even thought of it before until Rob, who's a pretty big guy, he went to play it, and he he almost dropped it. It's not easy, and, and but I'm very conscious about keeping myself healthy uh, finger wise, and so that's kind of the stuff that I would talk to Mark about. And but Mark's really just amazing, uh, you know. To listen to his uh, you know songs that he's written, he's a number one hit songwriter. But one of the things that was really cool is. My instructional programs helped out a lot of people. For example. It was are you talking
0: about uh, like Speed Kills? And are you talking about.
1: Yeah. And then I had one called a Starlix video before Speed Kills. Okay. And that was, uh, I was still, on, um, I had, I was still playing locally in LA and I hadn't been signed with Nitro, but it was after the Manholland, And yeah, exactly right. That, that exact era. And that's right around when I did this first instructional program. And people like uh, John Petrucci watched it, got the idea of jazz threes because I always use jazz picks. He studied it. Michael Romeo from Symphony X. Uh, he told me that he studied it. And and one of the biggest one was Dime. I'll never forget this. I and was in Nitro. You know. And yeah. Dime saw me in concert before they were big. Cowboys from Hell had just come out. I didn't even do Speed Kills yet. We were in Florida recording our second album, Nitro. And we were, we went to this little club nobody was there except for the band we knew the the bartenders there we we're just hanging out and it's and my guitar tech we nicked he went by Dragon. He's like, dude, you got to hear this band, bro. They rule, dude. You know, he's from Fresno and full on bad, dude. And so, <laughs> we go there to see this unknown band named Pantera. Nobody was in the crowd. And I'm standing in the audience like this. I see this dude come out with this beard and these long shorts, you know. And this is the era of Larry Bird, you know, with the, the little, you know, the, little, <laughs> yeah, the tiny you know, shorts. shorts. Right. He's yeah, got yeah, these yeah, long shorts. And we're thinking, boy, he looks out there. And here were these L.A hair metal guys. No, we don't look weird. But, uh, and, and he, he actually stopped. There was nobody around me for 10 feet. There was nobody there literally. And in Cowboys from hell had just been released and we're in Orlando, Florida. And all of a sudden Dom goes like this. He goes, is that Michelangelo? I'm like, yeah, dude. He goes, I got your instructional program, dude. He goes, you're like my guitar teacher, man. And then he goes, "Pantera's going to dedicate tonight's set to Michelangelo. And I was just floored, and yeah. and I mean, I had heard those songs "Cowboys from Hell" and I was already a fan before. I, and of course, uh, you know, shortly after that, they exploded. I mean, it was just like boom, you know, that album just just blew up. But I talked to Dime afterwards, and you know, we just got to be really friendly. We would do a, you know, I was with Washburn for a while in the '90s with Dime, and so we would do like in stores together, and you know, I got to know him really well, and he was supposed to play. On one of my albums called "Hands Without Shadows," right? The, right the next passed. tour yeah. stop was Chicago wow. before he got shot. We were wow. we were just devastated. I, I mean, we had uh, there's the been way too much, much of that.
0: Pardon? you know, even it, it, well, the shooting just you know has been way too much of that in our current climate. Still, you know, senseless stuff. It,
1: you know, um, you know. I, I know this is an off-topic thing, but when I knew Vinnie Paul, his brother pretty well, and we would go, you know, because of the Dean, you know, Vinnie was with D drum, that was a Dean company. So we would go to Europe and, and, you know, we Vinny would, you know, we would congregate like in these different music uh, expos, you know, like in Frankfurt, Germany, the music Mason stuff. And Vinnie used to always have a bodyguard with him at that time called cowboy. And so it was me, Vinnie, uh, david vincent from morbid angel who's our close friend and we were sitting down and we were we were had a really nice dinner in germany and we were drinking beer and and uh vinnie told me i i would never ask in a million years you know what happened i mean how rude can that be you no, know no, no, i no, would no. never he ever was, ask he was up for sharing and Vinny he talked to me about it he talked to me about what happened on stage he's like he goes man he goes the only thing that saved me was my drums he said the guy was pointing the gun right at his face and shooting. And it was ricocheting off the hardware of his drums and his drums. I, and I'm like, I, I to this day, you know, I can just picture us sitting there. And I mean, me and yeah. know, like David were just like, we didn't say a word. I mean, no comment. What, you know, I didn't ask him about it, but I can only imagine the the feeling of, of that, you know, a point yeah. blank yeah. range and, uh, you know, what, what, so, you know, to live through that ordeal. It was just Mm. something else. Mm. And that, and, and
0: literally after that, you end up, um, that's what you're both working with Washburn. And then, um, you also work with Dean as well. So, I mean, there's so much history between the two of you, you know, and the fact that he was your Starlicks, uh, you know, protege. And I do have to say this in all honesty, uh, There is another name to add to that Starlix list because here I am guilty of that, or actually proud to say that I did uh, take some Starlix lessons as well. They were a great company. Yeah, because you know what? I remember now borrowing from my buddy that was at um, that I had gone to GIT with because I wanted to learn some stuff and I wanted to learn some licks, and Starlix was the way to do it. I love yeah. it. And, and, and the speed kills as well um, with a bunch of other year instructional programs, because you are always putting out new stuff, like whether it's um, instructional programs or some of these videos that you touched upon earlier um, that you have put together with these young internet influencers. Um, how is that going right now? And what are some of the new projects in the works for you?
1: Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I think, and again, I mean, we're 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 live on your show, uh, so you've you've embraced this concept too of you know creating you know uh you know media uh, platform for yourself and celebrity online. Um, what what I did is, you know, there's so much great guitar playing that's out right now. It's incredible, and I love to keep up with the young players. But it's reinforced something with me that I can't worry about trying to sound like the newest guitar player. I can only be the best Michelangelo badio that I can be. And that's my goal. I'm not in competition with anyone else. I just wanna maintain my own skill. And so what happened was I started getting um, like just some of the younger players, just we started talking, it really was just social media stuff. And one thing led to another and I started doing shred collabs with like people like Andy James, and then uh, that, like uh, Jeff Schroeder from Smashing Pumpkins. I even started. I even uh, Billy Corgan has got uh, a wrestling thing that he does. And so Jeff and I, uh, Jeff wrote the theme song, and I played on it. And I started getting involved with a lot of other guitarists. But once I got with Jared Dines, he's like one of the big young internet influencers. It blew up. And then uh, we just released a video with a guy named Rob Scalin. 2.3 million subscribers. And he's wow. a really good guitar player. And I met him at the Dragon Force show that I played at in Chicago just a couple of months ago. And we started talking and hit it off. And he said, he goes, Mike, he goes, I'm, you know, he does a lot of exotic instruments. He, he lives in Chicago. He goes, can I come to your house? And See your guitar collection because I have a pretty big collection. It's displayed, yeah, my living room. That's my living room, and and, uh, <laughs>
0: and, and uh, we just hit it off. It looks like a bunch of house guests that won't leave, but what, they're great what, house guests. Yeah,
1: you know, why have furniture when you could have guitars? And uh, but I've got uh, over two hundred guitars, and uh, I love collecting them. Herman's got uh, Herman Lee's got a pretty big number too. We were talking about it because he collects too. And whereas John Petrucci doesn't, he doesn't care. You know, there it doesn't mean. It doesn't make me any better of a guitarist. I just, I love guitars so much. But anyway, yeah, Rob came over and he, he's such a great video editor and he's really knowledgeable. He's really good. And, and, you know, if I've learned anything, don't underestimate people, but um, he approached it like me. We were like kids, like we're just talking and I, and my quad guitar, I had it rebuilt Uh, on one rebuild because the original one got stolen i had lasers put in it we're trying to get the lasers to work you know (laughs) a quad guitar with lasers and i mean it was just insane and it's blowing up it just was released a little over a week ago it's got about a half a million views it's gonna be in the millions you know but i've seemed
0: to align. let's find that
1: guitar because that's
0: you, you know what? Let's find that guitar with with the people that are out there watching right now. This podcast, uh, we do a little segment right now, and it's a perfect way to get this animation going. Um, because whether it is this uh, instrument or not, this is definitely the one that got away. Yeah. <laughs> thank you usually the one that got away is about a piece of gear that you had to sell at one point or whether um you know it got stolen which is obviously this quad guitar so what's the story when did it get stolen how did it get stolen do you know who stole it and how can we get it back
1: well the, the quad the original one that i used in the nitro videos we only had it for two shows on the tour and we ended up our second our first tour date was in uh like San Diego, then we deadheaded it to, to El Paso. And then from that point, it was just, you know, a lot of dates in a row, but at the very beginning, you know, we had that day off. So we had um, at that time, the label was giving us a lot of tour support. You know, we had our own production. We, you know, we had our truck and, you know, for, for a baby band as our manager used to call it, you know, we had a, a really huge support. The label really liked us. And, and in all fairness, Jim was just the coolest guy. I like, the singer Jim and I really have never had an argument. First, he killed me because he's a black belt Gracie Jiu Jitsu, but he's just a genuinely good dude. And and we always he's in the good mood. Like I like to be in a good mood. And uh, but what happened is the second show of our tour, we were playing El Paso and all and we had all the gear loaded up. And now this is clubs. These are Clubs, what? Are you doing? Are you doing a back. van
0: U-Haul? A van are, with a with? Are you doing a van with a U-Haul? No, we had a back tour bus. We had a whole tour bus. bus.
1: Okay, so where's the
0: equipment? In is it in a back trailer?
1: Or yeah, is it we, in and the we base? had a twenty-four foot rider truck with the gear, and and all she, the gear was in the rider a, truck. A real deal. Yeah. That's yeah, we guy. had the label was really behind us back then, and uh so you know we were traveling in style. And what happened was my guitar took Dragons, comes. It's like, dude, you know, because we were finished and. We had another show that was pretty close, uh, you know, cause you know, Texas, you know, so big, but we yep. were, our routing was really good. So it was only a couple hours to the next show. I don't remember what city, but so we were just hanging out, you know, talking to some people afterwards, all the gear was loaded. The crew was there, you know, everything was done. And all of a sudden dragon comes in and he's like, dude, you won't believe this. They broke into the rider truck, just took my quad. And the quad was gone it's somewhere it, it's gone and i'm like oh and man you but can't I didn't, you can't pawn shop that
0: you cannot so it was definitely a it was definitely a, a an orchestrated hit because why wouldn't they take anything else except the quad guitar so it had to have been either a hardcore fan or a very disgruntled girl uh you know back i don't know it was yeah. it was the 80s but uh you know
1: where do you think it is now well what happened and see one of one somebody just put up Uh, thing where are you going to pawn a four neck guitar that's the question we had how the hell are you gonna how are you gonna sell this thing yes you know and so what happens is we we the next day because we had time because the next show wasn't we we visited some local pawn shops and you know we didn't know you know it was too early but we said look at if you see this you know, this this is guitar stolen. So we put the word out. Now it wasn't, we didn't have the internet at that time. So we were limited to just going to different places and calling, you know, and then during the tour, we would call like local pawn shops. We got, you know, like a list of a bunch of them. We never found it. And so we surmised that it's probably a collector that took it. Maybe some guy wanted it and it's, you know what I mean? Just who knows, but here's what's wild. Now this was in the late 80s. So we're talking 89, it gets stolen. In 2004, I'm going, I'm touring England and I get an email from a fan and he goes, Mike, you won't believe this. I said, what? He goes, there's a guy that bought the the top half of your quad uh, because he collects Charvel guitars, you know, the, which, top, only the
0: top half.
1: Yeah. And he's, and he's bragging that he's got Michelangelo's half of his quad. Now I'm going to London. And so I talked to the, and I'm doing a tour of England and uh, among other places in, in like a week or two. So I contacted the promoter there and he arranged, it turns out it was a kid, like a teenager right. and his dad and him collect guitars. So what happened was we arranged and I was, I was livid. I was like, and yeah,
0: then going to you know, get because this guy.
1: His name was Mick, that Mick Seymour, that, that was the guy that I work with in England. And Mick goes, uh, Michael, uh, they want you to give them fifteen hundred quid uh, for the guitar. That's what they paid for. I go, I don't want to pay for my own guitar. And I thought, oh, I have this the exact sucks. same story. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> bastards. And, and you know, and uh, but I, I thought, okay, fifteen hundred pounds. If I can get my guitar back, so he worked it out. We met. And he claimed that he didn't know it was mine, but I do have the proof that he knew it was mine. But I didn't care. You know, I wasn't there to argue with him. I get my guitar back. It was in horrible condition. Uh, I got the two top ones back, but we never got the two bottom ones back. We don't know. There's so the bottom is
0: missing. Yeah, the bottom so of Michelangelo's original is it? Is it was it the original quad?
1: Yes, the original wow. one. It had original Kaler seven strings. It was it was the one in the freight train video, the nitro video, the four neck guitar. The two top ones were left-handed and the and I got the back plate of the quad and the back plate of the double returned to me, but the two bottom guitars were never. We never they saw gotta them somewhere. They got to be somewhere, uh, given be somewhere. The condition of the top two. They were really bad shit.
0: If they might be in a vault in Japan, but they got to be something maybe Rick Nielsen has it in his vault. He's got <laughs> a lot of guitars. I don't know. Yeah. But the, yeah. here, I have this funny thing: is I have the exact same story of a GMP flying V, uh, Karina of 58 Beautiful. replica that was made for me that uh-huh. got stolen out of Alice Cooper's, uh, warehouse. It ended up years, years later being, uh, sold to someone in a canadian music shop they we found at this point the insurance had already been paid out blah 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 the guy offered he goes look can you can buy it back um if you want from what i paid for it um i'm I'm making you that offer because now i know it's your guitar and at that point i just said you know what And and he was a fan too he was a fan of the band i just said you know what?" you keep it if i ever really need it i'll um i appreciate you offering that but if but if i ever really need it i'll, I'll ask you for it but right now that this is yours now you already paid for it you know and so because he didn't know it was stolen when when it happens but uh yeah that's
1: a crazy story man I, but let's find that bottom half of that guitar <laughs> I'd love to. right uh, now we, we put the word out forever but you know you would think with a unique guitar like and, and I don't mean to to drop names. I mean, you know, we work with the people we work with. Please uh, drop I whatever upstate, names.
0: We love, this is a podcast. We need as many sound bites as possible. So drop yeah, all the and names and it's, you want. You know,
1: it's the way it is, you know. And anyway, I was in upstate New York doing a, uh, a workshop and Joe Bonamas' dad owned a music store and, uh, up in that area. So we arranged for me and Joe to meet because we had never met. So we meet, it was private, you know, and we were laughing because- He uses Jazz 3 picks like I do. And I had Dunlap make, I have my own special color. It says Michelangelo Video, and they're blue Jazz 3s. Well, he has ones in gold. So we were comparing our guitar picks and (laughs) he's a really cool dude. And and he he was there, uh, he bought these two Marshall Stacks and he's into collecting some, as you know, some like serious vintage guitars. I have about 20 vintage Most of my collection are guitars that I have acquired, a lot of USA ones over the years that that are special to me, where Joe actively hunts them out. And, and, uh, but we were talking about like, you know, I I said, Joe, what do you, you know, you're going on stage with 59 Les Pauls, man. You know, you're touring with like the cream of, you know, Stradivarius, you know, not to bring that word up again, but he goes... He goes, yeah, he goes, but you know what? I'm not worried about it. Because that's what I asked him. Are you worried if somebody steals it? And he said a great thing. He goes, no, because they're so well documented. Where the hell are you going to sell them? You know, and, and that's very true. You know, but, um, you know, my quad, it wasn't so much it was documented. It's so unique. Well, where, do you, where are you going to go? It's documented you know, that's, in that's, that video. But if you you want to check
0: out, if if anybody needs proof and they think they might have some information leading to the uh, recovery of Michael Angelo Badio's bottom half of the quad guitar, go check out the Nitro video, of course, Freight Train. uh, And and you're going to check out an amazing solo because at this point, we're just a bunch of guitar geeks right now on the podcast. And I'm happy about that because um, I do have some guitar geek questions uh, for us. But first, I just want to... Uh, do a small segment because we have such a supportive cast over here in the live chat and everybody that shows in weekend in, week out on the YouTube official channel um, Hitting that subscribe button becoming part of our community. We have a thing called fan of the week and I'd like to uh, Introduce that right now. What do you say Vic? or you have just opened up for michael Angel badio and uh our fans of the week we call it the fam- family of the week uh they've been showing up to all the shows here in the uk this week thank you so much kai ross best rachel ross and bill crow look at that family of the week and if you'd like to be part of the fan of the week um all you have to do is just promote this podcast this episode uh with michael badio and um Find that bottom half of that guitar that's missing over there. And um, what can we say um, more than you've got stuff going on? How, do, how are people going to get in touch with you? How are people going to find Michelangelo? And for those of you listening on the auto broadcast, we can put up those links right now. What do you say, Vic? And Michael, can you tell people the best way to find out more about you?
1: Yeah. Um, my instructional programs are through Metal Method uh, Doug Marks, speed kills, everything I've got, I think 12 or 13, uh, programs. And then, um, the best way to contact me or see me is through social media. And, you know, you see those blue check marks, uh, on Facebook and Instagram, like the verification. So I'm on Instagram. The two main ones that I use are Instagram and I have an official Facebook page. And then, uh, you know, I'm the sawtooth guitarist, the company I'm with, we, we do stuff on, uh, like, like other social media things, you know, like, uh, you know, Snapchat, things like that. But my two main ones are, and also my YouTube page, which is again, Michelangelo Badio, but I usually put the official on there uh, just so people know. And, and, you know, that check Mark is, you know, when you see that blue check Mark verification, then, you know, it's the real deal.
0: There you go. And that's the best way to get in touch with you. What, um, any plans right now to do some live shows or live, you know, I know you don't do clinics as much anymore, but do you have any live appearances scheduled coming up?
1: Yeah. In fact, I, I had to, you know, you're in Europe right now. Um, I had several tours because of COVID cancel and, you know, the average tour, you know, somewhere 30 plus shows, somewhere around that number, but I had about a 30 city tour in Europe that I had had to cancel because it was, it came right at the beginning of the Ukraine conflict. Ah, And I I was doing shows at Poland, you know, Lithuania was really close in that central Europe area. And, and so, um, you know, we're going to reschedule that tour for uh, either later this year, maybe early next year, but I, you know, I love to tour and uh, you know, just COVID and things have just changed that. But also um, what I, what we do now is I'm very lucky because i'm not in a band per se and it's freed me to do a lot of projects for example with sawtooth um the three main spokesmen are me on guitars rudy Sarzo on bass minneapolis on drums so we got that would be a great band a right there together. that would be a I, I could see that as being a great band right there it would it was fun i mean rudy actually played on a, a tribute to randy he played on one of my solo albums and he did he's awesome great guy, but I mean, I, you know, his credentials speak for themselves. Of course, Minnie, you know, when you play rainbow in the dark with the guy who played rainbow in the dark, you know, (laughs) it's it's just the sound of his drums. Well, it's like playing with Glenn, you know, Silva. I mean, these are world-class drummers uh, and, you know, so there's just that groove that they do that it just separates them from, from the other, from the pack. But, and then we got a young singer named Melody from an up and coming band called Liliac and she's in her early twenties and, Really an old soul she's like the female version of dio and and she's awesome, so she was the vocalist, so that's one project I did and then um we we i base a lot of things now um around the company sawtooth like I have a a band that when I go to California in a couple days uh we're we're going to be rehearsing we we're filming videos and we're we're gonna play you know locally around l a um okay. one of the owners uh uh, his brother is a booking agent out there. So we're going to play the West Coast. And then, you know, I, I do, uh, you know, and, and I do my own tours, but I, I, I've i toured so much. I, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. It's like working on guitar designs. Uh, we play the occasional shows and it's a lot of content online. We're doing acoustic songs with cajones. Uh, we released, we just filmed five of them about a month ago, and we're going to do a whole series. So I'll have about 15 acoustic songs. We're gonna have a we have a set out with uh, with Vinny and Rudy and myself and the girl Melody that's out and then we're gonna do a bunch of stuff with the band and play so it's really sounds big- like
0: you are nonstop and I, that's I, good and, and and check out all those links that we put up before folks to check out uh, Michael uh, Angelo Abadio and of course Instagram is where you know I reached out to you and you were so graciously accepted to be on this podcast um, there they are again um, there's one just I saw it earlier and I want to say thank you very much it's a roomie over here that had uh thanks again for contributing to the podcast and keeping us uh funded up um but it's a guitar key question michael um and you were talking about mark germani earlier but i read that you gave tips to mark germani about using a tube screamer what is the approaches of the tube screamer now we're getting a little bit geeky with those ibanez tube screamers and effects but is
1: is that true well yeah uh and one of the things about Mark, now this is something that, you know, here is a number one hit songwriter. I have the I, I like Mark just personally so much and respect his ability. He, you know, coming from Creed, that was the era of no solos. Now Alterbridge, now he told me that Alterbridge is like the bridge between alternative music and and ripping. Guitar. He really wanted to bring solos back. Uh, this is what he told me back in the day when Alter Bridge first started. He didn't really. One of the things that I talked to him about is where effects go. You know, like where does does a delay go in the signal chain, or does it go in the effects loop? Now, if you use overdrive, the delay should be through your effects loop. Um, you Obviously, don't want to. Yeah, it um,
0: sounds better. It sounds a little bit. Uh, it sounds like it's kind of in the you know, in the mix a bit more when it's in your yes, right? exactly.
1: You know, because, you, you know, if you put a digital delay through distortion, it's going to sound terrible in the <laughs> signal chain. So it was stuff like that. But, but the Tube Screamer, way back in the day, I was in New Zealand. This is in the early 90s touring. And I found an 80s Tube Screamer. I paid like 200 bucks for it. And this was like the holy grail. Yeah. Uh, of two of sounds i keep it in my studio it still works um i've never taken it on the road but i there's I, and i can even tell you the frequency that that mm-hmm. it's 1k what i learned over the years like Dimebag had that he had the smiley face had the scoop view. yeah i have the sad face i don't <laughs> like too much low end or too much high end i like these mids um it, it just it makes it real, and especially the frequency of 1K. If you just go to an equalizer and just bump up 1K, that's what a Tube Screamer has in abundance. And it's got this high-end sustain. These TS9s to me were magical. And so I have like 10 of them because I stomp <laughs> on them so hard they break. So I would just, and I don't endorse the company. So I just buy them. But I, I was telling Mark um, about why I like these Tube Screamers And then I had my own signature overdrive to a company called T-Rex at the time. And he used to use the T-Rex overdrive. He said it was very similar, but I look for this bump in the 1K area and you can hear it. You know, I'm no frequency expert. I'm really not. Uh, I just took some engineering classes and I learned... Like you know, like a SM57's got about a five or six K bump, you know, it's that higher mids. So, oh, I'm know- going down
0: that rabbit hole, folks. We are going down that rabbit hole. I
1: like it, <laughs> yeah. You, but you know, you know, because you have to know your own sound. I mean, if you mm-hmm. don't know, like Steve Ives always got a sound, he it's Steve, you can always tell Steve I sound, and so my sound is very mid midi and it gets that like kind of, but that's what I like, and and uh. And so I, but so that's what I was telling Mark. You know, and it was right that,
0: around the the one K mark where you were yeah, talking about. So and,
1: I have a signature overdrive, but it's it, I, it emulates. It sounds beautiful. Uh, I, I there are these little nano pedals. I've got one right here. Hang on.
0: And it's, Rummy, uh, I hope you uh, appreciate it's like this. This uh, big question. it does.
1: And nice. and it's got a bar there because I usually wear like big motorcycle shoes, but it's from Tom's <laughs> Line Engineering. You can get it online for like forty bucks this sounds as good as my best tube screamers. I I don't know how they did it. I don't even care. But it's got that bump at that 1K that just smooths out the the overdrive and and gives you that round tone that I personally like. And and so uh, that's, that's what I did. And that's what I told Mark. And see, Mark's such a great musician. You know, now he developed his own sound. So now he has his own overdrives. But, you know, it was the idea of, where to put what in the signal chain, you know, and he likes to use a wah a lot, which I'm, I love him, but I'm not, I've never, it's not part of my style that much to use it. I use it a little more nowadays. You can, um, you can definitely
0: overuse a wah. You can over wah.
1: I think so. And you, you know, when you find that sweet mid range spot, it gets a little overkill some in my humble opinion. And, And so, so I, I try to, I don't use it as much, but I still love them. You know, there's always a use for it. Do you think you'll ever go from
0: past four guitar necks? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I guess the next thing is a dial guitar because that one question just came up like, when's the five neck coming up? But I mean, I, I, I do believe that Rick Nielsen has us all beat on how he's many got is that? six, is I got, think five or get, six. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. He's got five or six. Yeah. You know, the, the biggest difference, Ryan, with the doubles is it's truly left handed. That's the, you know, and I, I'll say it again. When you think of the double guitars that I play, play a right-handed piano and then take every key and reverse it. So when you, when you're playing in unison, you're going, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La. If, so you have to play like this to play in unison. If I play like this, like, like a normal piano, or like see Jordan Brutus, you know, doing dream theater with, a, you know, multiple keyboards, uh, that's not what this doubles about. That's a guitar. That's Jimmy page doubles. You have to reverse every key. And then that's what this is like. So it's yeah. not hard. It's not cooler, or better. It's just, I just wanted to be different. I just, but that's, that's why I, I just feel that there's a little bit of rain man going on with you. Cause I can barely even,
0: <laughs> I can barely even do that. <laughs> and, and you've got, I mean, have you ever taught a course on how to play a
1: quad guitar? Well, not the quad, but the double. I, I took on, um, and we, we did a crowd funding thing, you know, and I was real successful and I've only done it once. Uh, well, actually we did it twice and, and, uh, but one was not just me, but for myself, I did one. And I met a student, a young guy named Philip from, from the French part of Canada. He, this is, like I, I worked with him because I really love this story. He got into a horrific car accident mm. and his hand almost went through the steering wheel. Can you imagine the force of that? Yes. And in he was yes. a really good death metal guitar, you know, like doing down picks, you know, 250 BPO. He was a great death metal right handed guitarist. He lost the ability to play right handed, but he found he could hold a pick and play lefty. And so I taught him, you know, online, I taught him how to play left-handed and cause he, he sought me out and we talked and I don't like us, like you said, and I, I don't teach privately really at all. Right. And uh, you know, but he was something special and he had the work ethic. So I worked with him on it and he couldn't do anything, but I showed him hand positioning, how, what, he, what he needed to look for the way there's two disciplines of pick you, you either, keep your hand off the fretboard. And there's a lot of uh, examples. Al Demiola's one. Joe Bonamassa does that a lot too. Or you, you're you like me and John Petrucci, you you keep your fingers You off. anchor it.
0: You almost Pardon? anchor it. You either anch- you, you anchor it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You anchor or you do not. And then some people like Joe Bonamassa does a little bit of both. And I think all of us do a little bit of both. Yeah. So, um, but Philip had this non-anchoring, just free floating mechanism, which is really good. And so I showed him and then he ended up like he's in a band now, you know, they're getting signed and, uh, you know, so, and uh, he's a great, but he's a real success story. I mean, when you think you've had a bad day, it wasn't bad enough to put your hand through a steering (laughs) wheel in an accident. And so, you know and and but he was an inspiration to me it was like and now he's got a double he's working all this cool stuff i'm like yes <laughs> i love well him.
0: i mean if that didn't qualify you for being one of the uh forefathers of shred guitar then and passing on the knowledge to uh someone that actually really really uh came to you know that knowledge came for him at such a good point in his life he needed to have that you gave it to him um it's been a thrill having you know one of the pioneers of shred metal uh, and shred guitar. Uh, th- 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 does that title weird you out or do you accept that title? I mean, do, do, do you feel that the word shred was, is, is, is disparaging
1: or do you feel it as a compliment? Great question. Really, that's a great question. I'm a student of music. When, if this was the year 17, whatever, uh, if you wanted to get criticized by a critic, they like in, in, a, you know, in a paper or whatever periodicals they had in the day, they would call you a virtuoso. Because the technical definition of a virtuoso is you're extremely technically proficient at your instrument. That's the Harvard Music Dictionary definition, because I have it. Uh, and I, I have a degree in music. Doesn't make me better, but I studied history throughout the ages. There are always critics that criticize musicians with extreme technique. So when, you know, in the 80s, I never, we never called each other shredders. That was kind <laughs> of a term afterwards that seemed to hit in the 90s, you know, in the era, where it was a, like a derogatory term. They tried to criticize, but see, for me, I thought about it, you know, because a lot of people didn't want to be known as a shredder. I said to myself, you know what, forget it. I'm going to embrace this. If you want to call me a shredder, call me it and I'll be proud. Lean into it. But yeah, be yeah. Own it. Because all I want to do on guitar is be the best that I can be. That's all I wanted to do. If that means I'm a shredder, Hey, I'll put shred right on the t-shirt, you know? And so I embrace the terminology. Shred has
0: made the bread.
1: Yeah. Why not? You know, I mean, because it's, you know, If that's what, and see now everybody uses like, dude, he shreds. Everybody shreds now that you can't, you can't stop good. You know, people try all the time, but you know, it's like the word virtuoso, you know, Mozart was called a virtuoso. It was a derogatory term. It's like saying he's a mindless shredder And, and, you know, the critics criticize, but who remembers the name of the person who said that? but now everybody's ripping on guitar. Yep. You know, are yep. they uh, m- not everybody, but you know, we, if somebody's playing bluegrass really fast, it's not duty shredding that thing, man. You know, it's a common vernacular of, of, of today. So exactly. I embrace it and I make no apologies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are not going to make any apologies as well, even though we have gone, uh, uh, a little bit overtime on our podcast length, yes, but yeah. this, I don't feel like it's overtime because I feel like we're just getting started, but you know what we're going to have you on again at one point um, when we can talk even more uh guitar geek stuff, which I love talking guitars, and we talk um, about your future projects as well, but uh, it's been a pleasure having you on it's um, like I said, for our first conversation. Uh, knowing about you all over the years, hearing the legends, hearing the stories and having bandmates and friends all uh, speak highly of you. It's great that, you know, the interview and the conversation lives up to everything that they said and that uh, I was imagining it would be. So thank you so much, Michael, for being on. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. It was amazing. It was great. And um, you. you know, I usually end with asking our guests if there's, um, maybe guitar advice, but not just guitar advice, life advice that has been handed to you that you might be able to, uh, pass on to some of our uh, listeners of the, in the trenches podcast. And by the way, folks, because we have had such an amazing time this week with, with, uh, Michael uh, uh, Betio, we are going to not have a uh, show next week, so we will do an encore presentation of something. So be on your lookout for um, our upcoming guests. But we are, again, on the road here with Alice Cooper here in the UK right now. And I got to go get ready to get <laughs> to get on stage in just a little bit. Um, but we'll be playing around. Check out alicecooper.com or, better yet, ryanroxy.com for the tour dates. And, of course, again, there's the tour dates that are left on our schedule. Schedule. and um, and one last time we'll put up those contact informations for Michelangelo Badio um, there's his uh, uh, contact information to start following him if you don't already and uh, start following us if you don't already if you are Michelangelo fans and you're just tuning into our uh, podcast again RyanRoxy.com want to find out more about the all-access pass, that's a great. But hopefully I've given you a little bit of time, Michael, to think about uh, some sort of life advice to pass on to our listeners. And is, is there anything?
1: I do. I have, I have two things to say, and I'm going to keep it short. Three letters, P-M-A, positive mental attitude, and two words, don't quit. There's a riff that you're having a hard time, be positive about it, And just keep working at it and tell yourself you're going to get it. Picture that you can play it. So I I live, that's what I live my life. Uh, I I think of life as your attitude is, it's a coin. PMA on one side, NMA on the other. You're either positive or negative. There's no gray in in my world of thinking. And I just don't quit. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of things happen to me. You know, parents passing away. My younger sister, a lot of things, you know, in life that hits you. But you just persevere. Don't quit. Think positive. That's it.
0: You have had. It's been really, really great having you on, Michael. That's great. You've had the you've had the most positive mental attitude throughout the whole entire conversation. I'm sure you're going to go on and have it um, for the rest of the day and on your upcoming trip to L.A. So look out for uh, Michelangelo Badio playing somewhere near you in Los Angeles. And of course, follow all his uh, contacts again. So hang on for just one second while we say goodbye to everybody else. But everybody, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and we shall see you next time. I Ryan Roxy, thank you so much, team. Uh, Vic, thanks so much for being a part of it. Federica, thanks so much for being a part of it. All of the RJ, all the all accessors. My name's Ryan Roxy. Until next time, enjoy the ride. Thank you, Michael. In
1: the trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello,
0: Moby, give him his guitars back.